Shall we pray? Yeah. Lord, we thank you for you. Lord, we thank you for you. Lord, what do you want to say to us this morning? And as we hear, how would you have us respond? Well, God, I thank you for all that are here. But I thank you even more so that you're here. And we pray that we would um, have our courage ignited by your presence to engage you no matter the conditions of our hearts this morning. No matter our circumstances. No matter what we think we deserve or don't deserve. Lord, we thank you that your love never stops. So I pray that we would allow ourselves to engage you and receive that which you have for us. And those who are not here this morning, we pray a blessing over them, that you'd speak life into them, that every encounter they have with a human being um, would be an opportunity for them to model who you are. So we pray your blessing over this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How was Easter? Awesome. Good. Good. Well, uh, in 2007, I got married to my beautiful wife, Shanna who is from Minnesota, the Rochester area. I'm from San Diego. And uh, I moved out to Winona while we were engaged so I could be closer to her. And I had transferred seminaries and, um, or no, I hadn't yet, sorry. I was, I was doing seminary online so that I could be here, all this stuff. And so we decided that we felt the Lord leading us to get married in San Diego and live there. So I'm like, okay. Now i got to find a job. So I looked for every job I could find. I mean, from ministry jobs, which is what I wanted, to an insurance salesman, and believe me, you don't want me in charge of your insurance, <laughs> to even, to even an, an accountant, which I had no qualifications for. I mean, I still use my fingers to count. That's true. And so I'm like, I can't do that. And then I felt the Lord leading me into youth ministry, which I no, that was, a, that was on the no-fly list of my heart because I had buddies in college that were youth ministry majors and they were, as I'm like, you know, going through getting, I was at school in Philadelphia. I was going to get a cheesesteak almost every night and uh, I would see them outside of their rooms sweating bullets trying to get all the work for youth ministry that had to get done. And I was a Bible major, which was one of the second hardest third hardest majors at the school, but I didn't have to do what they had to do. And I would just go, I don't ever want to do youth ministry ever. Nope. And so that's where the Lord called me. <laughs> and so I started looking at certain churches and, and, and I grew up Baptist. And when I say I grew up Baptist, you cut me, I bleed Baptist. I mean, three or four generations of American Baptists. Whoa. Okay. Three, three pastors in the American Baptist denomination I mean, whew. yeah, okay, yep, we, yeah, we will, praise God, but anyway, <laughs> and so I, uh, I was looking for that kind of environment when I was used to, so there were three churches that would listen to me <laughs> and take my applications and all of this, and one I really wanted, the other one was like, man, because it was in LA, and I don't like LA, and, but I said, I'll make the sacrifice for you, Jesus, and then... <laughs> The other one was a Lutheran church. Now, let me say this. 
Let me say this. I have deep respect for the Lutheran denomination. So when you hear my process and this story, understand it's not where I stand now. Yes? Okay. Because growing up Baptist the way I did in the Baptist bubble, it, <laughs> going to a Lutheran church would be like a diehard from birth Viking fan all of a sudden becoming a Packer fan. And that's, right? That preaches. <laughs> so I was, you can imagine which one I, I didn't want to get. And if you know me, you know which one I got. <laughs> and so I found out on our honeymoon, talk about to the last minute. And I was so excited that I got a job that I was jumping up and down on our bed and the ceiling fan cut off like half my hair. Like no joke. It was very close from decapitating me. And then when the excitement kind of wore down a little bit, I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm the new youth director at a very big Lutheran church. And I come from a small 40 people, 50 people, 60 on a good day, American Baptist church. He's a lot of change. And believe me, I have a lot of preconceived notions and a lot of judgments. And so I get there and everything is different. Everything. And I'm going, oh boy, I am out of my depth. I'm out of my depth. As a big church, there was, it was probably on the roster 2,000 people. And, and then it's like 1,200 people a week. And after my, I think it was at the end of my first summer, my supervisor, who's one of the associate pastors there, asked me to help distribute communion. Now, the way they did communion there was different than the way I grew up doing communion. The way I grew up doing communion, because we were in a small church, you'd come down the aisle, the pastor would serve you, give you a word, if he had a word, pray for you, kind of what we did on Good Friday. Very much like what we did on Good Friday. That's what I know. But this was completely different. And they didn't give me a manual, which would have been helpful. Because you're talking about serving 1,200 people communion in a morning. I'm like, how is this going to work? Well, they line up like this. And I was handed, I was handed the wine because it was wine. And I'm going, whoa, this is weird. They're, they're drinking at communion. <laughs> I didn't fully get it at the time. Remember, I was in a kind of like a bubble. So I'm told, my, my, my supervisor, I'm kind of freaking out. I'm like, but I'm trying to be cool about it. I'm like, so what is exactly do you want me to do? I don't know why people pull up their pants when they're trying to be cool, but that's what I was doing. And I said, so how do we do this? And he said, you just say, here's the blood of Christ shed for you. That's it. That's all I got to do. You don't want me to discern anything? Nope. just want you to go one by one. Follow me. I will give the bread. And you just say the blood of Christ shed for you. I can do that. Oh my gosh, this is idiot proof. Can totally do that. So I thought. So the first few hundred people, I'm like, I got this. Wow. This is, I could do this all day. Blood of Christ shed for you, blood of Christ shed for you. But then you know you have certain people you're about to serve that you've heard about. People warn you about them when you come on staff. And not necessarily in a bad way, but just kind of the, the, traditional, maybe more high-maintenance way. And I saw this couple. They've been there for 30 years since the church was um, uh, planted. And they were probably in their 70s. They're on their knees ready to go. Their hands are out. 
and I'm not, I'm still six people from them, okay? They are ready, locked and loaded. And I'm going, don't mess this up, Fairly. Don't mess this up. You're having the self-talk and you're not, you're so enthralled in what's about to happen. You stop, you stop thinking about what you need to say. <laughs> so I get there and I'm like, I don't know why I'm so nervous because I don't even know these people, but I was told, you know, that this is very important to them. And communion is very important. I understand that. So I was like, ah, the body of Christ comes by. And I said, the butt of Christ shed for you. <laughs> True story. And I go, and then you catch yourself. Yes, you catch yourself. And I go, I mean the blood of Christ. I mean the blood of Christ. I mean the blood of Christ. And you just keep, it just keeps getting worse. And this woman's just like, and she's just trying to look down. And she's, I'm like, oh, drink it, just drink it. And I'm like, I want to drink it now. I know it's why I'm like, I need to cut the buzz off here. Oh my gosh. And, but you are so panicked now. Guess what happens to the next two or three people? They also get the blood of Christ. I was mortified because my system didn't match up with this system. And guess what? <laughs> I was there four more, almost five more years, and I didn't one time serve communion again. <laughs> Partially because I was asked not to, <laughs> which was fine with me. Um, but in all seriousness, when you are introduced in a new system, you have judgments, preconceived notions, and criticisms. We all have them. How many have switched churches at one time or another in your life? And oftentimes we switch places because we've made certain assessments that have gone from assessments to judgments. Good or bad. Whatever you, how you rationalize them in your head, we judge like we're getting paid. We are. And what we're going to see this morning, we're going to go through chapter, the first half of chapter 14 in Romans and talk about this tension of judgment. And to set this up before we get into the scriptures, I want to, I want to tell you where Paul is coming from. Paul is about simplicity with Christ. Now, this is a Jewish man that knows all the law. He was persecuting Christians because of the law. He knows the law. He knows all the traditions. He knows it all. And here, his, his passion, his mission, his call, his invitation is to simplify it, to demechanize it, so that all people see is Christ. He is all that matters. I mean, the, it's the reason why scripture says Jesus is the fulfillment of that law, because all that you could want, all that you could hope for is in whom? Christ Jesus. So Paul, in this passage, he's talking to Jewish Christians, most likely, this is what most scholars believe, he's talking to Jewish Christians. Some have made the turn into Jesus only. Some has brought the law with them. Now, you'll hear words like weak and strong. Now, let me tell you what weak does not mean in this context. It does not, is not a sign of lack of value. It's not a diminishment of character. Strong doesn't mean these people have arrived and know all things. This is more in the realm of maturity. We have people of all different levels of maturity in this room, and that's okay. 
because we were all, we are all invited because we've accepted Christ to his banqueting table. Whether you are in your infancy in Christ or you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. And Paul says this. Paul makes the point that those who are considered weak in the faith are those who have brought the law with them and they bring judgment with them on those who no longer observe the law like they do because they are finding their fulfillment in Christ alone. And then he instructs those who are strong, don't criticize and judge them in return because they're not where you think they should be. Does this sound familiar? So if we put it in layman's terms, if we put it simply, Paul's saying, knock off the squabbling. Now, when you have kids and you're sitting at the dinner table, it is amazing what they argue about in front of you. I'm like, oh my goodness, who cares? How many feel, (laughs) stop it. Would you stop it? We do the same thing, but we call it adult conversation. But it's, We're still the children of God that squabble over things that we have made important in the name of Jesus that are not the most important things. And Paul's saying, Jesus is above all of these things. Do not give yourself to what was, but who is. He makes it very clear. So if you have your Bibles, if you'd open them up to Romans chapter 14, and we're going to read 12 verses. It's a little long, but that's okay. I want you to just relax If you have your Bibles, please take them out. If you want to follow along, please follow along. If you want to just close your eyes and listen, that's fine too. But here's what Paul says. Starting in verse 1. Accept, accept the ones whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. That's important. Whoever eats eats meat does so to the Lord. Whoever, excuse me, whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will stand before God's judgment seat. For it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. 
Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Stop judging each other, basically, because those of us that are showing contempt and judgment still both, all, have to go before the true judge. So whether you judge one another or not, you will still be judged. Along with the person you're judging or showing contempt for. Now, when we say the word judgment, we are not talking about healthy assessments, right? I'm judging whether something's safe or not. I'm assessing the situation. I'm not talking about the healthy judgment that we talk about in Scripture. I am talking about the destructive unhealthy judgment that comes really natural to us, where you encounter someone, and off that encounter, you make a determination. And that determination at the time is often an eternal one in your heart because your next set of actions are a response to that determination. So if someone, how many are first impression people? You only get one impression. And if you ruin that one, bye-bye. Anyone have that? I used to be that way. I'm like, eh, I don't like you. So I think, you know, because it takes energy. But if I judge them off that one encounter, I have determined their fate in my own heart. In the sense that I will no longer associate with myself with you in an open way in which God can use me in your life. That is what we do. We come into a place, and I'm not trying to shame anyone. We will all do this. Who's judged someone? Who's done it today? I have probably Sometimes it happens without us knowing it, and sometimes we justify it. But here's the deal. It is not our job to determine people's fate. It's not our job. Our job, and Paul will make it clear in the second half of this, is to love. That is your job. What Paul is trying to do is to make it simple for all believers. Stop giving into this stuff because it brings dissension, not unity. Christ is the only thing that brings unity. If we start succumbing to our judgments of people and want people to follow those judgments and make the same judgments themselves, then we're not pro-unity, which is pro-Jesus. We're pro-uniformity. Be like this so I can feel better about how you're being. That is not the Jesus way. Right here is the Jesus way because the people we are judging are the people he died for. We have to remember that. I am great at judging. I mean, almost to a point where it's probably a spiritual gift. No, not really. But you just, but how many, yeah, you know what I'm saying. I mean, one of my favorite things to do in an airport waiting for a flight is what, people? People watch. And what do you do when you people watch? When people say that, they just don't want to watch people. They make up stories about what they see, what their life is like. You're bringing judgment. That person is dressed like, whoa. Yeah, I don't like him. <laughs> you haven't even met him. But you've already determined something. It's different than going, ooh, that person looks this way. I wonder, though, what they're really like. That's, a, that's an assessment with an openness for God to do whatever he wants. But oftentimes we go, nope, nope, nope. And we do that in the church. We're great at it. And we spiritualize it so that we can feel okay about it. That's not to make us feel bad. It's just a lot of what we do. I do it. 
I try not to. I'm allowing the Lord work on it in my life. But hey, I do it. We all do it. Maybe some less than others, some more than others, but it's there. And it has been rampant in the body of Christ. And it has no place in the body of Christ. The only one that judges is the head of that body, who is Christ himself. Let me say this as clearly as I can. Judgment is a disruption to kingdom community. Kingdom community is driven by the very heart of Christ, which is the love of God. Judgment is a disruption from that kingdom community. Now, it's something we practice. It's something to practice getting out of, practice new behavior, but behavior that comes from encounter with Christ. It's not our job to be the behavior police. It's not our job to judge if someone's worthy or not. Then we're a church of you've got to behave to belong. But Christ makes it very clear he's the opposite of that because what did he do on the cross with a thief to his right? The thief says what? Surely you're the, God, you're the Christ. Remember me. And what does he say? Surely you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't, he didn't behave his way into anything. He was being crucified along Jesus because his behavior was awful. <laughs> so for us to respond in judgment towards people is contrary to what Jesus showed to his very last breath. And yet we still want to call it, well, it's holy living. No, holiness is not a form of actions or behavior that is flawless, that makes you holy. Holiness is a result of proximity to Jesus. We become more like him as we are with him. Because he is the only one that can make you holy. If your behavior could make you holy, he wouldn't have to die on the cross. So judging someone's level of faith is outside our pay grade. Because we want to keep being transformed, as scripture says, with ever increasing glory. So that when we are presented with someone in our life, that is, we may go, nah, I, I don't take communion the same way as that person, or I don't worship the same way as that person. That's okay. If that is, if, that, if there's something wrong with that, I don't know, let Jesus work on them. Your job is just to create relationship and be a part in, of what Jesus is doing there. That's every Christian's invitation is to be the very heart and love of God to anyone they encounter. And I'll tell you what, we, judgment can cut off an opportunity of immense breakthrough and possibility. When I was at this church, I remember, I remember vividly my first day on the job on a Sunday. Now, I came from a youth group where I was one of 10 on a good day. And there were 100 plus kids in this room and I was going to throw up. <laughs> I was out of my element. On paper, I had no business being there. But this is where God put me. Now, in the spirit of judgment, I'm looking at the room. I'm assessing. And here comes this kid. Oh, 
and I knew right off the bat. And it was, it was the good-looking kid that plays the guitar, that has, you know, all the, the Christian t-shirts, but the really cool kind, not like Tomato Bob from VeggieTales. That's what I wore in college, thought I was cool, not the case. You know, he had the knot of this world, you know, and he's just he's standing in his power stance, and he's just playing. And he's got the long hair, the, the, the bronzy skin, and he does the hair flip. Oh, my hair's in my eyes. I don't even have to, I don't even have to use my hands. And he comes up to me, doesn't even get my name, doesn't even introduce himself, and he comes up to me, and he plucks out my chest hair. He just grabs me and he goes, Brum. Yeah, I know it's weird. <laughs> Thank you. And I justified my judgments because, man, that is weird. And then if it wasn't weird enough, he jumped on my back. I, and she was right there. And he jumps on my back and he starts talking to me in the Lord of the Rings character, Smeagol. <laughs> which I can't even do, but he does spot on, by the way. Someday I'll bring him here just to do that. I'll stand up here, stand him up here and say, just do that. No. And he goes, welcome to you. Know, he like, we leave. And I told Shannon, I hate that guy. He is a cocky, arrogant, blah, 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 blah. How wrong I was. I had cut off in that moment. I had cut off potential kingdom breakthrough because I had a very weird experience. <laughs> and I was a first impression guy, and that was a bad first impression. And to this day, he's one of my dearest friends who loves my family, and I, we love his. And he knows I share this story because it's just weird. <laughs> but he's wonderfully weird and sweet and kind and thoughtful. How often we cut that off because someone doesn't look the way we want them to look and their faith doesn't look the way we want their faith to look. It does not matter what it looks like to you. Jesus died for their heart as well as yours. We have no right, no place, no business playing judge and jury. None. I am not talking about healthy spirit-led accountability or healthy spirit-led correction where needed. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the determination, unhealthy determination and placement of someone where you have now cut off what the Holy Spirit could do in you and through you. I have a litany of stories I could tell you where I judged and God showed me to be so wrong. God loves disappointing you. Ooh, something's going to go, oh no. I'll tell you why. He loves disappointing our unhealthy expectations and judgments. Because when he does that, it shows you truth, life, and love in action. And it transforms your heart. He loves doing that. Because it feels like disappointment to us. But it's transformation and glory for him. And judgment disrupts that process. It robs us of what God has for us. It robs us. And then we look foolish. I don't... I, I've learned to look foolish all the time, but I don't like it. And we can justify it all we want. We can justify, I mean, take gossip, for example. Don't get me started on that. 
You know how I, you know how I, when I want to share something that's bothering me and it's about someone else, do you know how I justify it? This is just spiritual observation. And I just need to share it with someone. (laughs) Come on now. I know that's not right, but I feel better about indulging in what gives me a sense of control and makes me feel better about me. Paul says this, do not judge a servant's or a master's servant. It is not your job. And you, yourself, ourselves, are servants to the master. So the people we're judging are the people that we are supposed to be living and sharing life with, not judging where they should or shouldn't be. Let Jesus do that. We got to do that. This is not a shaming word. This is, a word. this is not a sermon about making us feel bad. It's course correction. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. This is, this is things that we have to talk about. It can't be on the back burner. It has to be on the front burner because it's something that we operate in all the time that's under the radar because it's natural living. And believe me, I abhor that behavior in myself. But I have to distinguish between abhorring the behavior and then abhorring myself for it. That's a different thing. This is meant to just, we have to practice this, folks. This is not something that, wow, turn the light back on and now I'm never judgmental ever again. Believe me, there will be an irritating person that you encounter today. And the Lord will want to use you in that. But if we bucket them immediately or even after five or six attempts, how many attempts do we get with Jesus? Let's be careful not to put a number on that before we judge. God may say it's time to step back. That's okay. But if we begin judging, remember we too are judged. But by a God of grace, mercy, and love. He's chosen to use us to be his heartbeat to the world. And that's why Paul says, stop squabbling over this stuff of what you eat and what you don't eat. Because remember, that in the law was very important what you put in your body. It's not, it's not Paul's like, it doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. He starts the letter out again. I, Paul, a slave to Christ. Not to what I eat. Not to the law. Not to what day it is. Not to one celebration or another. Days will come and go. Experiences will come and go. Jesus is eternal. Know him now. It's very clear for Paul. A guy who knows every ritual, every Jewish tradition, all of that stuff, and how he just can see that Jesus is greater than any of that sense of control and order. So I want to pray for us. Bless us. um, As we go into time of communion. And just in the spirit of the story of communion today. um, We do it a little differently here than maybe some other backgrounds. Here's what's important. The glory and honor of God. That's what is important about coming to the table. Not whether it's distributed by a pastor or it's distributed in a way in which we're used to, but that we get to come to the table and remember, remember the grace and love of God 
is alive and well now. And we get to partake in that. So we believe in, in the priesthood of all believers. So when you're ready, you can come down, come to the table, either with your family. If you want to go by yourself, you can go by yourself, with friends. Or the Lord may highlight someone to you to invite to the table with you and take you outside of your comfort zone. But either way, we're going to come to the table this morning together and honor and glorify him. So let me pray, and I want to bless you with something. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love for us. And I pray in Jesus' name, in the mighty name of Jesus, at the name that every knee will bow and tongue confess that you are God, I pray in that authority that you would break off all ungodly ties and bonds between us and anyone we have ever judged. And that we may judge in the future. We break that off. And Lord, I pray that you would break off all the unhealthy, misconceived notions about who you are, what church needs to be like, what every experience needs to be like. Whatever experience connects with us, may we do it unto you and not judge another for it. But all things are to be done unto you. So I pray in Jesus' name that you would give us discernment and encourage and encouragement when we encounter people that might be easy to judge and harder to love. Would you help us stay with you in that place so that we can ask the question, Lord, what do you want to say to that person through me? I thank you. I thank you that there's no lost cause when it comes to your children and your presence. And may we never think as such. And forgive us for when we have. May we leave this place feeling full of joy and hope and readiness to continue to practice to love those you put in front of us, familiar or unfamiliar. Bless us as we come to the table. We glorify you for you are worthy. We thank you that you are alive and well and moving and shaping and transforming us ever increasing glory. And we thank you for making it simple. Be with me, I with you, and you will bear much fruit. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, that you are hope can be our strength, we can stand on you, that you're the cornerstone, a firm foundation. Thank you, Jesus. You're good. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound and drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone. 
And I will 